This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to darn it it's not the 75th episode i thought if we could do the top 75 players on the 75th episode that would just be glorious and harmonious but no it's some random number that's that's you know how ufc is up to like 272 when they used to count one two three like the super bowl i used to say what's gonna what's gonna happen in 10 years are they gonna have like ufc 272 jokes on me they're just gonna go forever in like 40 years it's gonna be ufc 1214 um wow, I'm already sidetracked. Today we're going to today we're going to discuss the 75 I guess we can call them greatest players in league history. It's the NBA at 75. So they put out a 75th anniversary team. They put one out. I think they actually put out like a 15th anniversary team, but definitely put out a 25 and then the NBA at 50 in 1996 was a big deal and now we've gone another quarter century around the solar system. And we're here in 2022 for what is quote-unquote the 75th season. The BAA, the Basketball Association of America, kind of got blended into the NBA. And we count it as 75 years. So the task is to come up with the 75 greatest players ever. We're recording this in September. Apparently, all of the voting has been done. The team will be announced shortly. And I thought just for uh, mental sanity, I would go through and see if I could predict the top 75 players. And then, of course, once that happens, you have to figure out if you were to make your own list, what would that look like? Uh, what have I gotten myself into? I can't do this alone. To help me, he's just going to be a fly on the wall and just pester me with as many questions and insights and sanity checks as humanly possible. I, I needed someone else. I had to bring in a thinking basketball insider, one of our own. It's just done great work on Greatest Peak series, on upcoming historical series. Cody Hodeck. I like that metaphor. I had another metaphor. I was thinking about what my role was going to be. I don't know the actual name for it, but like those old school motorcycles when there was like a sidecar. It might literally actually be a sidecar now that I said that out loud. I feel like I'm going to be sitting in that sidecar today as you try and go through your your odyssey at the moment and maybe maybe like i have my apps up pulled up and i'll be able to direct at certain points if necessary but i think you know the road i think i think you know the path that you need to take so i'm here to do whatever i have to do if i have to silently sit here and just let you ramble for the next hour and a half i'll gladly do that if i need to shout turn left at some point i'm also (laughs) available to do that i that's that is probably a better metaphor than mine as i said it i was realizing you know people say a fly on the wall when when they're thinking of uh like eavesdropping in silence and i was thinking if i were a fly on the wall i would probably be saying a lot right you're hanging out on the wall you got you're overseeing all these conversations you might want to inject every once in a while i think if there were to be a conversation that i could be a fly on the wall on i would like to be at the league office right now as like they have 
actual people discussing this right now? Like, how is the league handling this? Or are they just like, oh, send it out for there for the masses to create content for us to spur our name on social media, and we're just not even going to worry about it. We're going to let the, the voters take care of it. Well, if you, if you take them at face value, that's exactly what's happening. So the league, uh, you know, in, in the NBA at 50 list was a, was a pretty big deal. And so they announced who the voters were, I think, after the voting was done. So you get to see the body of sort of like former great players. It was Kareem and George Mikan and um, Harvey Pollack, the great statistician for the 76ers, a few other front office members. So it was kind of people like this that... Uh, theoretically had a, an historical lens of the sport. And of course, in 1996, it was a little easier to wrap your head around the history. Here, we've got another quarter century. And the league is saying this. This is what the league is saying. Let me read directly from their website because we're going to try to figure out what these people are thinking and, and voting in a minute. This is a blue ribbon panel of media, current and former players, coaches, general managers, and team executives. And they will vote and select a new 75th anniversary team. And um, some of those media members who have Twitter have sort of discussed the, the submission of their ballots this week um, and, and some of the harder choices and things like that. So anyway, I mean, we're going to try to figure this out, but this, this feels like an impossible task. Yeah, I actually literally just Googled how many NBA players in history. And according to random, clearly reputable site, Dunker3.com, as of June 21, there was 4,509 total players. That's in history. about right. Yeah. Yeah. And boiling it down to 75, that um, doesn't seem realistic or possible or something like any uh, well minded person would tackle. What are you saying, Cody? Uh, I'm <laughs> saying that I am ready to ride this sidecar with you into wherever you're steering it. Uh, so, so here's what I thought we would do I have no idea how long this recording is going to go. Do you have to go someplace at some point? Um, I mean, theoretically, I've worked tomorrow, but probably not. Okay. I mean, you heard him. He said that's theoretical. Here, here's how I think this should work. We are going to go through what I think the predictions will be. Uh, and then in the in the second half of this podcast, we will do my actual selection if I were given a ballot. Um, spoiler alert, I was not given a ballot. So this What's up is, with that? I, I, I don't know. I have no idea. They they wanted... Also, I don't know if anyone with a ballot is going to actually reveal their ballot. So I'm going to kind of do a double whammy. I'm not going to get a ballot and I'm going to reveal how I would like walk through this and think about it and what my ballot would be so I can pull my digital pants down and be mocked. Um, this was a great exercise, though. All, all kidding aside, um, this this is the challenge with this. I think it was ease it was more manageable at 50 it was probably significantly more digestible at 25 back in 1971 you how do you get a body that's knowledgeable about all these different eras with with a rich perspective it's very difficult to do and part of the challenge for me and I'm, you're going to weigh in and kind of help me get get my get my bearings as we get down the list is figuring out Okay, even if you told me the voters, like if you told me the voters, I think I'd have a better idea of predicting who goes in. But just knowing what we know about it's going to be media and former players and coaches and current players, I still can't wrap my head around current players. Like how are current players supposed to even know who Hal Greer is? 
<laughs> I I mean, I think you mentioned this before, too. The NBA just doesn't have a system for showcasing its historical players at all. Like, there aren't clear, clearly demarcated historians of the NBA game out there at all. So there's just really no good way to get that information either. Yeah. And so because of that, my assumption with the way they pick the teams, and we have some prior basis with the teams from the 25th and especially the 50th anniversary where the league was huge and Michael Jordan was at his heyday with the Bulls and all that. My assumption is we are going to be indexing on things like rings, on things like points per game, on championship narratives. And then there's a kind of um, almost je ne sais quoi, like an it factor for some players, right? Like the, the, the sexiness, the cultural importance of those players. A lot of those guys seem to get rewarded. And then I think the final thing we have to watch out for is just a New York bias. Um, it is the sort of media capital of the world. And I definitely thought the team at 50 had a ton of um, Knicks that probably wouldn't have been on otherwise if they didn't play in New York. So these are all the things that are swirling around in my head. And I think without further ado, what we should do, unless you want to jump in with more thoughts there, I think what we should do is just hammer out the kind of locks. Because as you said, we're not going to talk about LeBron James, but we're probably not going to talk about like... Who else is who else is basically a lock here? Who else do I have as a lock? Like we're we're not going to talk about Scottie Pippen either, right? Yeah, I mean that Moses Malone. I'm sure there's some clear names that whoever pops to mind right now. We're not going to talk about that, right? Just because th- those guys. So let's lay it out. This is how I did this. I started with, well, as Cody said, making this list is impossible. So what I actually started with was the NBA at 50 and kind of expanded from there. But for for going through this, let's just start with the guys. NBA 75th anniversary team, the list that will come out, I think these guys are locks. So hopefully I'm hopefully I about 100% on this because these are this is the easy part. Okay. Do you want to do this by decade? Does that make the most sense? Honestly, I don't even know. You're n- none of it makes sense, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So starting with the old timers, George Mikan, Paul Arizon, Dolph Shays, these guys were all on the NBA at 50 team. And I see no reason why they're not going to be on the NBA at 75 team. Any, any disagreements so far from the 1950s? Nope. Okay. Moving right along to the 1960s. Uh, in the 60s, of course, Bill Russell, Bob Cousy. I guess Cousy's a 50s player as well, kind of. Bob Pettit, also on the cusp there. Wilt Chamberlain, Willis Reed. Let's call Rick Barry. Now we're getting like 60s, 70s. Oscar Robertson. Also in that time frame, John Havlicek, Jerry West. How am I doing so far? Are we good? Sounds great to me. No qualms at the moment. Elgin Baylor. Now let's kind of get into the 70s. Of course, the, the king of the 70s, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Julius Irving, Walt Frazier, Wes Unseld, George Gervin, Elvin Hayes. These guys, by the way, were all on the NBA at 50 team. Moses Malone goes from the... Kind of the kind of the mid to late seventies into the eighties, and now we can start getting into our huge eighties names. Also from the All NBA at fifty team, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, John Stockton, Patrick Ewing, Hakeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, Charles Barkley, Isaiah Thomas, Carl Malone, Kevin McHale. I think we I think we're in the nineties, Cody. Have we made it all the way to the nineties? I think so. You're getting some names from like that probably could have been a 90s name, too. So we're getting to 
an age where most of you will hopefully have heard of these people. <laughs> this is what I mean. If the vote, if the voters haven't even heard of some of these old dudes, um, Scotty, still, I think they're going to be in. I think there's too many executives, coaches, and old players that they're probably going to tap into to preserve this level of history. These guys are just giants of the game throughout the decade. Um, where were we? The 90s. Scotty Pippen, Shaquille O'Neal, Jason Kidd, David Robinson, and now, now into the 2000s, really. Dirk Nowitzki, Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant, Steve Nash, Tim Duncan. Someone out there is going to have this organized by draft class and be very upset that I'm going slightly out of order. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're basically in the 2000s now. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul, and that gets us all the way up to the modern players, I think, with Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. I skipped one name on this list. It's important because I do think he's a lock. I don't think there's any way he's not getting voted in. Uh, and that's Allen Iverson. So there you have it. Those are my locks. Cody, anyone in there that you don't think is a lock to get voted in? You know, honestly, especially some of those early players, if you're like, can you vamp on Arizon for a second? Uh, I would vamp about something else while I very quickly Googled some stuff about him that I could say. But, you know, besides some of those early <laughs> players, everyone else seems like the key story to the game. Like when I think the greatest players of all time, you know, it's like what players do I have to mention if I'm going to be talking about the history of the league. And I think pretty much everyone that you said there is who you would expect to be on that list. So, no, no arguments at this point. Yeah, and I like I like that framework that you laid out. I, I asked you before we recorded. And just the idea of starting with the the key players in the history of the game to tell the game. And we can elaborate this on this later in the second half when I try to sort of work through my own criteria that I used versus just defaulting on what I think are the 75 most valuable careers, which I don't think is quite in the spirit of the exercise. It, to me, it's not even like the 75 best players, period. It's something closer to, in the way the Hall of Fame is a museum, it's something closer to a collection. So I think based on what the voters have here, those players are kind of guaranteed to go in. And what is that like? I think that's 40, that's 50 names, actually. That just turns out to be 50 players exactly. And it's the next 25 players that uh, I had to look at about 70 guys to figure out. Yeah, and I think some of the questions, too, when I was trying to put it together is, are we just thinking about your impact on the basketball court? Like, how good were you were, how good your, your teams were? Or are we also looking at players that had some kind of other outsized impact with, like, an aspect of the game? Say, without saying any names, uh, perhaps you are known as one of the greatest dunkers of all time or a pioneer of dunking or one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time without maybe not necessarily being one of the, uh, quote-unquote, top ten best players of all time. Uh, so that was something I was trying to think of, is this, how much Im impact do I give those aspects of a player's game when making the greatest list for me and i get i will get to it later but i think we can reference it if you have any questions about guys that like i don't have those exact same 50 locks i started with about 50 or so names that were pretty easy for me and then it starts to get harder when i made my list but i don't have the exact same locks i've got 90 percent of them the same and i think for some of those names, they won't even be on every ballot. I just think there's going to be enough voters that hit those historical guys. So you mentioned Paul Arizon. Um, Paul Arizon on the original NBA at 50 team, but just from sort of a resume standpoint, I think people look at stuff like this. He made four 
all NBA teams. He made 10 all-star teams. Uh, you know, he was on a championship team in that early era. You've kind of got Mike in. So there's only a handful of key early championship figures. It's Mike in's dynasty with the Lakers. And there's a few other guys that were on his team um, that kind of get Hall of Fame boosts from that. But you also have like the Rochester Royals won a championship with a guy named Bob Davies. This is like early 50s. And then the uh, Warriors with Paul Arizon, Neil Johnston, guys like that. They won a championship. I want to say off the top of my head in 56. And then we get into like the Russell Celtics dynasty taking over from 57 to 69 and Wilt and Oscar and West and all that. So that's why Paul Arizon, I think, is still going to be preserved from that era, along with your Mikans and Koozies and early MVPs and guys like that. So if we're thinking about telling a story of the NBA, there's got to be a beginning and an end. Obviously, the beginning is whenever the NBA started. The end is whatever point we're at at the moment. Would it make sense if people were to be doing this list to, I guess, bracket out a certain amount of players to be put in, say, like every decade? Like in the 50s, we need five guys. In the 60s, we need five guys. Not that you're capped at that many, but you need to have at least this many from each decade because then you can spend more time specifically comparing players in their own decade before starting to branch out to fill in those gaps. Does that seem like something that would make sense? To some degree, I think that's a great point because I think for the spirit of this list, as we go on, you know, as I was putting this together, I was almost thinking about the NBA at 100. If, if we're still around talking about, you know, the NBA at 100, like what that task is going to look like and the potential for just an incredible modern bias. Because we have play-by-play after 1997, and so we kind of enter this data ball era. Now, of course, we have player tracking in this last decade. And I I'm, can see a future where people look back and they're just like, hmm, the, the 80s, that was the dark ages. But that was also when basketball existed. When they, That's when it began, when they put the three-point line in. And it's like, wait, the NBA was around... Uh, quote unquote around for 33 years before the three point line. And there were a lot of championships and a lot of great players. And so I'm concerned about that history being washed away. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a cap on it and I wouldn't put a minimum number on it, but I do think it's important for a list like this to kind of preserve the, the dominant stories, the um, dominant archetypes, the key figures of the earlier days that led to the foundations that, gave us the three-point line in the 80s and the 90s and you know the game we've had this sort of like postmodernism, this this revolution with the three-point shot in the last few seasons i think all of that is important to keep in mind at risk of just one day forgetting about all the old players just like, like literally throwing away all the old players yeah and howard beck was talking with jack mccallum about this on the crossover pod and i think uh jack was talking with adam dupree and i think both jack and adam voted on the top 50 players during the 50th anniversary and dupree was pretty uh pretty adamant that going forward the nba should preserve like each team that goes so like they should preserve the original 50 that was on the 50 team and then just add 25 players on top of that and i feel like either the like having a Uh, a minimum requirement for each decade or at least preserving each team would do at least a better job of keeping the names that are already in there i'm not saying i'm wedded to it but i heard a couple of those ideas i went through a couple uh reddit conversations and i'm like you know it seems like these are some popular ideas so maybe that's something that we should investigate going forward just so we can preserve uh you know the game because if it's hard to keep track of the 50s and 60s now it's going to be that much harder to do that 25 years 50 years from now yeah that's a cool idea i i the obvious problem with it is that then you're beholden to the 
previous voting bodies' biases and the lack of knowledge they have and things like that. But I think something like that makes sense because even even like when I was going through trying to read the tea leaves on who's going to be voting on this, and again, you can go back and look at who voted in 1996, and you know it's some predominant broadcaster, like Marv Albert was one of the voting panels, and Marv Albert uh, was calling Knicks games, I want to say at the end of the 60s, like he was doing it since he was like 22 years old. So they they clearly had these players involved, these participants involved in mind to capture the history of the game. But this time around, when I see stuff like um, executives, coaches, and current players, I'm like, what? what do the... like? What are they going to index on? Like, do they know? Do they know who Bob McAdoo is, or or do they get the other thing? Is the NBA? Who knows what they're doing? Like, do they give you a place to go and look up the resumes of players, or just is you just fill in? Do you just fill it in open sort of entry on your own, and then you submit your list, spelling errors and all? I like to believe that they just have like a symposium where all of the voting body just shows up and it's like, let's have an open dialogue here about this and we can wax poetic about all these old timey players that maybe we haven't heard about before. That is exactly what it's not. Cody. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think I think there's going to be a lot of basketball referencing involved for mm-hmm. people kind of like double checking old names or here's like, maybe they give them the list of 50 as a kind of a refresher or whatever. And so then you're left with like, Oh, take all-star games made, you know, all-star games for the NBA at 50. Very few people who had made like nine or 10 all-star games missed the list. In fact, your dunker friend, who I assume you were talking about Dominique Wilkins. Is that right? Uh, I had a couple names in mind, but he was one of them. Yes. Yeah. So Dominique Wilkins did not make the all-NBA team, the the, uh, all-50 team in 1996. So I also didn't list him as a lock, but there were a few more guys before we get to the really hard stuff that I just called very likely in laying the list out. So we had 50 locks. Again, I hope I get all 50 of those. And then six more guys that I'm like, these guys are probably in, but there's each one of them has a little uncertainty depending on how the voting pool goes and depending on how people sort of weigh their own criteria that we, of course, know is very nebulous based on what the NBA puts out. And I'm thinking, these six guys are probably in, but... Not guaranteed. Okay, these six names. Now, I'm sure this will this will get us into some fly-on-the-wall questions from you. These six names for me are Robert Parrish, James Worthy, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Gary Payton, and Nikola Jokic. I like that. I'm looking at the list you're reading, and when you skipped over Jokic's name, I'm like, oh, I appreciate it. This is a man that knows his sense of, of timing and entertainment. I'm glad you saved that for the end. That had to be last. I, I, I think... Look... He won the MVP. He's had three all NBA seasons and phenomenal peak. It's one of those things where if you go back and you look at the NBA at 50, they of course put Shaq in. Shaq gets a lot of, he's mentioned constantly, like they put Shaq in, they're predicting the future. Well, kind of. Shaq finished, I want to say second in MVP voting the year before. He also won the scoring title the year before. He also had made three all-star games, and I want to say three all-NBA teams, just like Jokic. And so I, I don't think it's as much about projecting forward as it is for some people. They're just thinking along these fluid kind of criteria, this, this fluid rubric of like, that's one, I have to talk about that player. 
We have to talk about Shaq. He's already been that good. We have to talk about Jokic. He's already been that good. He's in the history books. He just had an incredible season, maybe the greatest offensive big man ever, and he won the MVP. He's going on my list. I wonder. I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate because I'm just, I'm just throwing out ideas here. I wonder if people would look at Jokic's name and in, in the spirit of the rings argument be like, yeah, but Shaq had made the finals at that point. Jokic hasn't made the finals. And I feel like if you have only, what, like a five, six-year career right now, you have to have at least made it that far in the playoffs. And I think, I don't know if that's a fair ding. Once again, I don't know the kind of like argumentation that's fair game in this conversation. But if someone said that, I'd probably shrug and be like, I, I see where you're coming from with that, but I, I'm also on board with you. Like he is, when you talk about innovation too, like never seen a center like him. He is like the offensive center that you like to see in the modern game at the moment. So, yeah, I, I'm swayed by that. I like Jokic. I think he's very good. But you made the exact point, which is it's not a guarantee to me because of those reasons, right? Jokic, obviously, the obvious one is longevity, and then you say. Okay, making the finals for, in some cases, has more cachet. Making the conference finals in the bubble, maybe people aren't sold on that as much. So who knows? Paul Pierce, another guy, I think like a month or two ago, especially when he retired a couple years ago, Paul Pierce would have been fine. And then you start to get these politics and real world things that get stuck in people's heads. And they get down their list and they're like, "Mm, I don't know. Especially if it's a ton of media members who have worked with him or feel slighted or things like, you know, that stuff happens when you've got no criteria and you've got an unknown private voter pool. Or, if, you know, if it's modern players, if LeBron is voting, not sure if he's going to give Paul Pierce a vote. <laughs> um, I laugh, but I have no idea how many modern players are voting. And of course, the thing with both modern and current players is they seem to over-index heavily on their own era. Like, yes. like... At a massive level that is almost psychologically inappropriate, like other like like other people weren't good at basketball when they weren't playing in the NBA. So that's possible as well. Yeah, I've definitely seen the discourse on Twitter being a little bit of all J.R. Smith would have dusted anyone in the 60s. I'm like, well, that's not the spirit of the conversation. However, I do think that Jokic might weirdly be. A, uh, a rare player that's modern that might not get the love from his current players like he might actually get more love from some of the older uh voting body that's like oh he's an evolutionary bill walton i loved bill walton therefore yep. nikola Jokic is in yep no i had the exact same thought i i think certain certain foreign players might not have the same it's like it, there's there's all sorts of little subcultural and political things and trying to figure out your age and what you're into some people are going to love scores and points per game and rings and some people are going to you know the guys who who really want to get Jerry Lucas and Dave DeBusher and all of the old Knicks on the team Earl Monroe like every Nick Walt Frazier Willis Reed Dick Barnett let's get the entire early 1970s Knicks on the team because the Red Holtzman Knicks were the the peak of basketball. Yeah, I can't I can't speak to that team at all, but I could totally see that being the case as well. Howard Comives. I've really never heard that name before. I'm Watch, just do you have I, more. Do I'm you just have more? saying old nicknames off the top of my head. Not nicknames with an N. Nicknames with a K. <laughs> Nick's names. Nick's names. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I will say before we get to the really hard part. Out of all the names we've listed, what is that? 56 names that are either locks or very likely to go on the list. I had everyone on my list except, uh, let's see. Do I have all of these guys on my list? No, Wes Unseld. 
Wes Unseld, I booted off. Why is that? Wes Unseld, for me, now he has... So, I think he's going to stick. You look at the all-NBA, uh, the, the NBA at 50 list, and I think there are a handful of guys that are going to go away. And now's a great time to talk about them. Um, but before I do that, let me answer Unseld. I think he's going to stick because he won MVP as a rookie, kind of transformational. He is a beloved figure, had a nice coaching tenure, nice nice sort of career after as a player in the league in front offices, and of course recently passed away, beloved. Uh, so he's kind of fresher in people's heads. I, I think known as an all-time great outlet passer. I think all of that is, is sexy enough that he sort of survives. Your whole thing where... If, as we were talking about a second ago, if you don't keep preserving the old players, they get dropped off. I think that's enough for him to stay. That was my thinking. So you said he's off your list, right? He just missed my cut. Um, for my list, sort of, he was in that group of players I alluded to that they're kind of all in the same tier ish, if you will. They're all like smashed together. They could be 80th, they could be 60th. But the kind of just the longevity career thing. But for me, he just doesn't have the peak. I wanted to get all the great peaks in as well. And so he was a guy that was one of my final cuts on my list, but just didn't quite make it. Just doesn't have the peak for me. Did you want to talk about any of the very likelies anymore? No. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't either. I was going to bring up Robert Parrish, but I don't really want to talk about Robert Parrish. No, Robert Parrish, we don't have. He just played forever. He played forever. Mm-hmm. I think he's still going to get in. Uh, he was part of three championship teams. He quietly made nine all-star games. Hmm. Uh, and I'm unbiased. I can't talk about Robert Parrish. He used to school me in one-on-one at his basketball camp. So, Oh, look yeah. at you. Yeah, that's the only player I just can't really, you know, it's too close to, to 10-year-old me. It still hurts. <laughs> it still hurts. He would just rain threes on me. And I'm like, you're a center. You don't shoot threes. And he's like, I do against you. Wait, are you saying on record that Robert Parrish would be a drop dead eye stretch five in today's league. No, but I mean, I think the line at that gym was like 20, 21 feet. So I'm sure he could have stepped back two or three more feet, but he had a, he had a great mid range jumper. And when he played 10 year old me, it was a lot of dangling out at the perimeter and, and reigning in threes or college threes at that time, whatever. It's probably more fun to not post up a 10 year old when you're seven feet tall. You just show off your skills a little bit more. What are we talking about? What just happened? <laughs> Hold on. I, I've completely lost my train of thought. We were... What did I say we were just going to discuss? Oh, I remember. It's all come back to me. The, um, the NBA at 50 team members who I think are going to be cut. That's where we should mm-hmm. go next. Okay. So here are the guys I think will not go through that were on the 50 team. Lenny Wilkins, nine-time All-Star, did not make an All-NBA team doesn't really have as a player like I think some people still kind of know him as a coach right just racking up over a thousand wins as a coach but coached the Olympic team in the 90s but I think as a player he was a tough one for me I just he doesn't seem what is it like do you know Lenny Wilkins when I say Lenny Wilkins as a player does he does he jump off the page to you as oh that's the best early passer the late 60s no, I could probably, I mean, going back to that original definition, I could probably tell the story of at least playing uh, NBA players without mentioning his name. You know, no disrespect to him, obviously, but he doesn't jump off like a lot of the other names that are on the list. So I made a few uh, New York jokes, but in all seriousness, I think Jer- both Jerry Lucas, 
who was on a championship Knicks team, along with being a teammate of Oscar Robertson, and Dave DeBusher. I think both of those guys, DeBusher was an eight-time All-Star, six All-Defensive teams, one All-NBA team. Jerry Lucas was a seven-time All-Star. They both have good Hall of Fame probabilities if you look at Basketball references, Hall of Fame probability uh, algorithm, which looks at a lot of leaderboards, like, you know, all-time points, all-time rebounds, things like that. I think both of those guys, like, again, I'll use you. When I mention those guys, do you go, oh, my, like, those guys are legends. We have to, we have to have them on the team. See, that's tough. I do feel like DeBusher, when I got into the NBA, he, he feels like a name that I heard more than the other ones, at least. Maybe, once again, maybe it's a New York Knicks type of bias where that's just the kind of name that pops up a little bit more. But based just on the, like, did you hear this name early on in your NBA fandom? I feel like I did, but I don't know how much meaning that should have. Yeah, he was he was a tougher one for me. Out of the, out of the ones I've mentioned here, he was the one that went last. I actually had him on the other side of the cut line as of this morning, um, but someone mentioned that I had forgotten to include scotty pippen in the list so i was nervous about i i was preparing an argument and i'm like am i gonna have to go on there and defend scotty pippen against ben taylor today is that what my role is gonna be no that was all that was was all head games to psych you out no somehow i started with the nba at 50 team and i only had 49 players i don't know what happened to maybe i deleted them by accident um the bush but the busher on both Knicks championship teams great defender a uh, really good player. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure. Like he's a tough one for me because if it's a more modern voting audience, a younger voting audience, I I think he's another one of the guys that will get cut from that original 50 team. And I think that's the tough part to try and conceptualize and putting this together. Like without knowing the voting body, you don't necessarily know what the knowledge base is going to be. And I know you mentioned that a couple times, but it really depends on like is it going to be 75% of people who never saw him play or really never heard of him or things like that. So I don't know. That, that's really tough to uh, look forward and figure out. Another one, this guy was somewhat controversial when he went in in 1996, and that's Dave Bing. I don't think Dave Bing is going to carry over. Thoughts on that? Do you know anything about Dave Bing? Nope. That's a good one to uh, cut. Yeah. So a lot of people don't know. He does not get the New York bias. He stayed in Detroit. Unlike DeBusher, who got to go to New York. Bing was a seven-time All-Star, solid player, um, had some nice scoring and passing numbers. But again, I think doesn't quite have that cachet to carry through. So those are the old guys from the last team who I think are going to drop off and just be replaced by um, more modern players, mostly. There are actually some players who missed the 50 team who I think are going to make this team. Hmm. Who are though? Do you want to talk about those those players right now? Let's do that. Sure. Why not? Sweet. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. For those guys, one of them we've already mentioned, and that's Dominique Wilkins. Dominique did not make this team in 1996. I think the human highlight film, the legendary game against Larry Bird, nine-time All-Star, seven-time All-NBA, finished uh, second, I think, off the top of my head in MVP voting in 1986. Tons of scored over 20,000 points in his career. I, I think he's I think he's got enough for people that they're just he's just going to rack up enough votes that he's going to bump out one of the Dave Bings or Jerry Lucases of the world. And honestly, I think if I were a voter, I would I would probably put him in just like something I was mentioning earlier, based primarily on his dunking. Like obviously, 
racked up a ton of scoring, uh, was a very solid player for a long time, went head-to-head against you know the likes of Larry Bird and Michael Jordan and whatever else. But I think, once again, you're telling the story of the NBA, and I, I feel like that dunk contest between him and Jordan where you know the results were maybe a, a little bit sketchy you know between you and me I'm probably probably the only person that thinks that but no, um, there's a lot of yeah. people that think that oh yeah of course so yeah I don't know I feel like that's a really big moment in NBA history where it's like you got you have to mention that when you're telling the story Dominique was like the windmill guy and one of the dunk guys so um, I think he makes the list based primarily on that for me another guy who missed the list and has always kind of been more of a niche favorite. Um, He had retired by the time they put it out in 1996, but I I think he's going to get in. He was 67th on ESPN's top 71 players last year, where for that, again, it's just inside ESPN, but at least you get some kind of diverse age and background in the voter pool there. Wilkins, by the way, was 46th on that list, which is one of the reasons I think He's going in this time. Um, the person I'm alluding to is Alex English, Denver Nuggets. Thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, yeah. part of the, what, super high-octane Denver Nuggets, like completely sacrificed all defense for offense types of teams. So I didn't know if that was – I was wondering about that because I didn't know if you'd be like, eh, actually, that's kind of uh, inflated stats-wise when you look at like his total points just because of the types of teams he played on or if you're like oh it's kind of revolutionary because the 80s were just like let's just go for offense and he was kind of at the helm of that so uh, i don't know i think he was an interesting case to talk about there he's a little i think the raw numbers are a little inflated but his per 75 numbers are fine he was a really nice mid-range scorer he was an above average efficiency scorer uh he didn't always play like the early 80s nuggets the mid 80s nuggets and then the doug mo like whatever it was 1991 insanity nuggets they all played slightly differently some of those nuggets teams uh, in the middle of the decade with guys like fat lever were actually pretty good and when alex got into the playoffs he's a really nice as i said a really nice mid-range scorer and he can play make he's like willing to uh create offense from that spot on the court And in the postseason, his numbers actually, I can't remember if they went up in the kind of heart of his career. They just stayed the same. But having that level of production, that quality of scoring, that playmaking, obviously big questions about, you know, where he kind of stood uh, defensively. But he also was a longevity guy in that he just like churned out those years um, season after season for about a decade straight. And so, uh, yeah, I... I think he's worthy. I actually had him as one of my final guys going in on my own list. Yeah, I think that's uh, definitely really acceptable based on everything you said. I should say I also have Dominique on my list as well. It's tough. You're you're tipping your hand in a way where I want to respond with more questions. I'm like, nope, I'm going right, to try I'll, and stay I'll, on the path. I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop referencing my list until we uh, get to it. Um, where were we? The old guys that didn't get in who I think are getting in now? Yes, players that were not on the original 50 list that you think will make it now. All right. I think the only ones remaining were still active players back then, uh, although they certainly could have been voted in. It wasn't like they were rookies. I think all right, this one's going to be fun to talk about. I think Dennis Rodman's going to get voted in. Here's the real question. If Dennis Rodman gets voted in, are you going to be disappointed? I'm not. I had him on the bubble, and the way I view his career, the fact that he is arguably the greatest rebounder ever, like such a unique player, one of the great defenders in league history, and he did it in a very unique way. 
obviously a character, obviously a key part of two kind of dynastic teams. Uh, I would I would not be upset at all if he gets in, and I think that combined with the last dance, the dyed hair, the crazy numbers, all, like all of that stuff, I think is. I think is going to be enough to get him in. If not, I, I imagine if they ever reveal like all the voting counts, I think he'll be pretty close. Just the the mo- like modern voters, I think, have him near top of mind. Yeah, I'm glad you referenced the last dance because I feel like there was a lot of discourse around that episode when it came out where a lot of people were like, oh, look at how edgy Dennis Rodman was. Can you imagine if he was around in the Twitter era? And just because of that and just by being in uh, Jordan's you know, atmosphere at the time. I feel like that, that balloons is, uh, you know, I can't think of the word, but notoriety, I guess. His his stature. Yes. His stature. So modern voters and players would definitely know of him and, and respect and, or at least like be intrigued by what he did. So I think that's it. I think those are the guys that I have, um, who did not make the team in the NBA at 50 season, who I think are now going to get in with a different voting body. Where do you want to go next? Where should I go next? Did Gary Payton, is he on that list? Am I reading this wrong? Okay. So, no, you're not reading that wrong at all. Let's talk about, so I said we have 50 locks. We've talked about the guys who I think are very likely. Now, before we kind of get to the the fringe, who could go in, who could go out and wrap up the 75, I also had this other category that I just called likely, <laughs> which is like not a lock, but for me, and not very likely, but there's five guys who I think kind of sit in between. Like, they weren't in my bubble exercise. I'm like, yeah, I think they're going to get in. I'm not agonizing, but they're not quite as, they're not quite as comfortable as the other guys. Um, and we'll talk about each maybe why. The first one, so this is a, this is a player who was active, who had been in the league for gosh, at that point, like at least eight years and did not make the original, the the, the 50 team last time. But I think he's going to get in this time. And that's Reggie Miller. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, and honestly, not just to like come on your podcast and be like, because of your work, but I feel like you elevated a lot of like what's known about Reggie Miller and his longevity and the value of his offense and things like that. So that's right. there's a chance that that sort of thing has put his name in people's minds as well. But I also think we can't ignore the fact that he's just he's a, on people's TVs now. He's a broadcaster. A, yep. He's a broadcaster. Yep. So because of that, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, Reggie Miller. He was a great three-point shooter before Steph Curry, before Ray Allen sort of thing. So um, I would probably even have him higher as like a not a lock, but whatever tier is above whatever you have him on. I feel pretty confident that Reggie Miller is going to be on that team. I the, feel like, I don't know, even when you're telling, once again, New York Nick bias, he's like an anti yeah. He's like a Nick villain. So because yeah. of that, too, he'll make it. The the very likely group. He should be in the very likely group. I'm mad at myself for not having him in the very likely group. And you covered the exact reasons. It's it's not really my work in this case that I'm thinking of. It's things like the 30 for 30 documentary going against Spike Lee, just sort of um, the legendary, like even even um, the the new book coming out about the Knicks from Chris Herring and, and just sort of like the rivalry um, with those teams, Miller reaching the finals against Shaq and Kobe Miller losing in game seven, but shoving Michael Jordan. And, you know, again, being part of another documentary in the last dance, being on TV all the time, um, being very polarizing on TV. The, when Ray Allen set the three point record, Miller just constantly standing courtside being like, I can't wait for Ray Allen to break my three point record. Like, I, I think 
all those things put you top of mind, much like Rodman, and influence a kind of newer generation of voters. Definitely. And all I've been waiting for this moment. Reggie, if you do make it, this is your Kodak moment. (laughs) Ah, where was I? Um, Okay. The next few guys, I'm interested to see if you can talk me into moving them into the into the very likely category, Um, all for different reasons. So Dwight Howard, I think, is likely eight time all star, eight time all NBA player, obviously defensive player of the year, five time uh, all defensive team. Uh, now is one of these guys that picked up a ring, redefining his role with the Lakers in 2020. But he's had such a strange career and such a strange like last seven or eight years compared to the first seven or eight years of his career with the divorce in Orlando and then going to Los Angeles, this huge market and having the you know this cover of Sports Illustrated. This is they're going to be unstoppable. This should be fun and everything kind of falling apart instantly there. I mean. Of all the great big men in Laker history, I guess you could add Andrew Bynum, but he was homegrown. All these other great, all these other great big men have gone there, and and like these legacies have blossomed, right? And he kind of went there and fizzled out, and then the divorce in Houston. It's just there's a lot of weirdness that I wasn't sure who's voting on this and how they're going to feel about that. Yeah, sorry, I'm reeling about Laker great Andrew Bynum. I just want a shirt that says that now. That sounds just excellent. But yeah, uh, Dwight Howard to me, did he win three or four straight Defensive Player of the Year? Is it four? I think he won seven. He he kept winning that award. Um, Was it four? No, it can't be. No, it was three. It was three. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely three. But still, three straight Defensive Player of the Years. um, Almost won MVP. Almost won MVP. Probably should have won. Like, maybe could have won MVP in 2011. Yep. Maybe. It was there. Um, Finished second. 53% of the vote share. And obviously, when we're talking, like, analytically, this isn't a great uh, heuristic. But in this kind of thing, a perennial 2010 type of guy with a few blocks in there as well, with, like, a 60% field goal percentage. I I don't know. I think his his resume is right up there with, you know, not the top all-time centers but he's at least like a tier below that with some other names that i think we're going to talk about which i'm trying not to spoil but so you're right there you're comfortable that he's going to get put in i think so okay i i think he's especially if lebron's in his corner now after winning a championship i don't know what their relationship was like but maybe he was helped out a bit maybe this instead of a new york nick bias this might be like a like a clutch lebron bias or an la LA bias. I, I oh. like. I like how you are. Feel, it seems like you're subconsciously giving LeBron like 40 votes. <laughs> you're like he has votes, and his entire team of his network in the league has votes. Uh, another eight-time All Star didn't make eight All NBA teams. Only made two at the beginning of the 2000s. But again, half man, half amazing. Vince Carter. I think between the the dunking. The uh, sort of, you know, famous 2001 playoff series against Philadelphia, Um, the fact that he played forever. I just think there's enough there that he's he's going to get voted in by plenty of people who do this. I'm a little bit more ambivalent about Vince Carter. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with him because I think he ended his career on a good mentoring note in the way that he's pretty popular among a lot of NBA players and meant a lot to uh, different organizations. But I feel like that was a really messy situation with him leaving Toronto early on in the season. And I I think there's some reports of like, oh, he gave up on this sort of game and people being angry that he like flew for his graduation. Then what was it like the night before game seven in 2001? Um, I know. I I think it was, was it the day of? 
it might have been the day of. He like flew there and back again yeah. before the game. Yeah. I think it was and I know, you know, there are some reporters that are like, oh, what are you doing? Like, this is the biggest game, like, in Raptors history. So, I, I don't know. I don't know what most people think about Vince Carter. But he's also, like, played across three decades worth. And he's right up there at the top uh, top three-point shooters of all time. His 2000 dunk contest is still, like, the gold standard for dunk contests. I don't know. It, I could... I could go both ways, not personally. I think personally I would probably put him on, and I think by the end of this I'll have said that about 125 players. <laughs> um, but I could go either way if, if you told me the NBA was either going to put him or not put him on. I, I like your reasoning here, and this is why he's in the, you know, he's not in my lock category. I also don't know. So another interesting thing with Carter, and I didn't even realize this myself, I don't know if people have really at this point, he played for like another decade after he was basically done being good yeah and i don't know if people have really internalized that he had a really nice decade like you don't make eight all-star teams in the nba yes uh, his final year in toronto 2004 was a disaster but then he went to new jersey and you know posterized a bunch of guys as nets and they weren't a great team but he had good years in new jersey like he had a lot of like 1999 to 2007 2008 kind of before he goes to orlando that's like a decade of good basketball and i feel like that possibly has been forgotten along with just how good he was in in the very beginning there 2001 2002ish i think not only that but he was maybe maybe the most exciting player in the league i mean there's a few players that were right there but he he was pretty saucy even with his passing he not that he was like a particularly great passer but he tried some fun passes especially like being next to jason kidd he was probably like oh i can do that too but some of his his dunks were just like you you don't see that sort of thing during a game and i, I feel like he was must watch tv for a period of time so i feel like i give him a a bit of a boost just because of that as well but i'm not sure how many people realize that or what they're going to look up or kind of what they remember that that lingering taste in their mouth is with him so he's here and i even put next to him in our little sheet that we're keeping track of as we go through this i put cody cut that is a cody cut i'm going to need you later on to add a 76 player you're going to have to tell me who who would be reasonable uh, to potentially replace him with if he didn't make the cut just keep that in mind another eight time another eight time all-star here for me in this category uh, not a lock, but I didn't really agonize, but some question marks. And that's Dave Cowens. He, as I said, eight-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA player. If you know your 70s history, kind of has a weird, he wins in 74 and 76, leading the Celtics to the championship in both years. 1973, along with John Havlicek, just has some great seasons in the heart of the decade. And then basically like wanted to walk away from basketball, thought it was too stressful and strenuous. Then he came back. I feel like this happened more than once. It was it, the seventies were weird, man. Like, like the fact that Kareem came out of the seventies and just kept steamrolling is, is the anomaly of all anomalies. I feel like all these other seventies players, we didn't even have that many when we went through the locks. Um, Cowan's again, he's got two championships and MVP. I don't know if, if the seventies are super sticky with all the voters, but I think resume wise play wise, like, he should be good, but I don't know. It's, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I feel like not not looking at shooting specifically, but I feel like the way that he moved around the court, his athleticism, his his lift out there, he was a pretty modern-looking center, like a solid, flexible defender, could uh, pass the ball uh, on offense. Yep. I've seen, so I, I've seen yeah. someone call him a 70s KG. 
which is, you know, he, mm. he played at the perimeter. He could create a little bit, dribble the ball, drive, uh, did a lot of little things well, moved, hustled. Um, like you said, could pass it a little bit, love the 18 foot jumper, like just loved oscillating between I'm going to splash this jumper and then take a hard dribble or two and try to get to my left hand. And then just a really good defender for his era. And I think the MVP part makes this the most complicated. And I, it's probably a dumb counterfactual, but if he hadn't won MVP, he'd be a hard not in, in the fact that I'm pretty sure the body won't vote him in. But I don't know how they're going to react to that. If they're like, oh, we need to make sure we preserve the honor of some of these older time MVPs that might be a direction that they go but I I really don't know but if it were me actually I'm not even gonna finish that sentence never mind (laughs) well well McAdoo did not make it the first time despite Mm. winning uh, MVP a year or two before that and McAdoo this time so McAdoo was 59th in ESPN's top 71 players last year and that kind of got me thinking that maybe he has a chance but he was in my fringe he wasn't in this category he was in my on the bubble fringy what are we going to do with him category and even though he's an MVP I still think like he's the guy actually there's multiple MVPs McAdoo is a guy I don't think is going to make it and while we're here I don't think Derek Rose is going to make it either and he of course Mm -hmm. won the 2011 MVP does that seem reasonable from what you see in front of you yeah i feel like when we're talking about mvps derrick rose's case is the toughest I, I don't see any path for him to get in there and um you know i think that's injuries that derail that it's kind of like a weird understanding i feel like the nba intelligentsia has taken where it's like yeah he's an mvp but also like this isn't the career that we thought he was going to have and i feel like mcadoo um again off the top of my head he was kind of a, an original stretch five or stretch big type of player and maybe maybe is it the case that in the 90s there was still this idea that's like that's kind of a, a softer game play whereas nowadays it might be more cherished in the fact that's like oh if he played now he'd actually be able to fit in pretty well with that jumper and because of that we should actually put him in that could be like a thought process someone has maybe i don't i don't know if the voting body has that nuanced level of knowledge about his game i I think the other thing that's tricky with him is he played in a split league the aba 73 74 75 76 the aba had the most talent it was ever going to have when those two leagues split amongst rapid expansion a lot of money coming into the sport and popularity and things like that the other thing is you go look at his numbers and he averaged like 35 points a game um in Buffalo. But the thing is, those offenses were never great. That team was never great. And as you said, and I've talked about before, he's really a four back then. And they, uh, Jack Ramsey cheated the entire lineup. So he played five. You had like a small forward playing four. They just went offense heavy. And based on all those factors and perhaps stuff off the court with him, you know, by the time the end of the seventies rolled around, uh, he was clearly not as valuable as he was in those seasons in Buffalo, despite seemingly having kind of uh, similar skills. And then, of course, later in his career, reinvented himself in Los Angeles. And when he reinvented himself in Los Angeles, he kind of still had similar-ish scoring rates off the bench. So he's kind of playing the same way. But then it's very much like Derrick Rose in a, in a kind of a weird way where you're like, oh, that guy, if I squint, it's the same guy. And if I look at his per possession numbers, it's the same. But he's like a sixth or seventh man on any decent team. So what does that that tell you? 
It's a lot. The first thing that came to mind is actually for Derrick Rose. I feel like I think the difference would just be stylistically when people like watch Derrick Rose now. You know, you can go back and see like the the two handed cockback dunk on Dragic's head, and you just don't see that from Derrick Rose anymore. Whereas like McAdoo's game was never really predicated on that sort of explosiveness. So I think if you just look at the raw numbers, McAdoo's case looks stronger than Rose's just because of that stylistic difference. Okay, so we're talking about MVPs, and we're in the seventies. And that leads us to Bill Walton. And as much as I want to talk like Bill Walton for the rest of the podcast, (laughs) this is pure philosophical, right? This is purely philosophical because he was on the NBA at 50 team, even though he only had a few healthy seasons in his entire career. But he's part of Blazer Mania. He's transcendent. He has one of the best peaks ever. He has an MVP, uh, finals MVP. Uh, six man of the year with the great 86 Celtics teams. Like, like there seems to be enough there that he was honored 25 years ago. And I'm, I'm not convinced he's going to get in this time, but I kind of think it's probably going to be the same story when people vote. I think if I were to do what you did, he would 100% have been on my predicted list. I don't see any way that any sort of voting body, no matter what age is going to leave him off. Just because whenever whenever you think of all-time passing big men, he comes up. Uh, whenever you hear the funny sound bites from college or NBA games, he comes up. He's just a national treasure in so many different ways. And honestly, because of Bill Simmons' book, putting him on his wine cellar team, I feel like that has an outsized uh, effect on a lot of people that may have read that. I don't know. I think Bill Walton is definitely going to be on this team when it comes out. So you think he's a lock? I think he's a lock. Wow. That's a great beard. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right so what does that give us that gives us uh so far i think 61 let me just double check our count before we get to the get to the fringes get to the bubble guys yes that's 61 players we have put in cody has set one aside vince carter so cody's got 60 that he agrees with out of 61 i'm that's okay I'm feeling okay if I've got 60 out of 61 you agree with. I thought you were going to be like, Ben, you've lost your mind. There are no way. There's no way they're voting these guys in. Um, That leaves 14 spots. And I think these 14 spots just, I'll be happy if I bat 500 at this point. Like it, it could go either way for about 25 or 30 players for those 14 spots. So I think, I think the way to do this is just to list the guys who I really, really considered might be voted in, but I, I don't think are going to get voted in. Um, I mentioned Bob McAdoo. We've talked about some of the NBA 50 team cuts, Lenny Wilkins, Dave DeBusher, Jerry Lucas, Dave Bing. Here's another one. Billy Cunningham. I guess he was an NBA 50 team cut. I should have mentioned him earlier. I, I think about him in the ABA in the sense that he won his um, MVP award in the ABA. But my understanding is this is NBA only, right? It's the NBA at 75. So you don't get, we can't talk about Bobby Jones extensively. Artis Gilmore doesn't get all his Kentucky Colonel Day credits. He doesn't get all his Kentucky Colonels. Um, <laughs> like, I just don't know if Billy Cunningham, at, at that point in the 90s, he transitioned from being a player to a coach. He coached the 83 championship team. He was still kind of top of mind for a lot of the people doing this. He seems to be a player that's faded away in the sense that a lot of people don't know him anymore. And so I think he might be another guy who's cut. I, ha- I have him on the outside looking in on my predicted list. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think I 
pretty much agree with that. I, I wouldn't be able to vamp very long on him. Although I'm looking at his basketball reference and I'm saying, wow, those are some pretty nice looking stats. So I don't know if someone else is doing the same thing that's voting. So who knows? Well, this is the thing. Like if you go look up basketball reference, okay, let's take a guy who I think I, I went back and forth on repeatedly and I've decided that he's going to be on the outside. Chris Bosh. He mm-hmm. made 11 all-star teams. When did that happen? Yeah, I that was actually a name when I first went through the list. I'm like, I think I'm a little lower on Bosch here. Like when you actually stack up the resume and see what he did, um, it's pretty impressive. But in my mind, I'm like, is he actually a top 75 player? And maybe that's just, you know, he's just reliving his Miami Heat days where he's just kind of, right. uh, you know, the third one out, always the one that whose fault it is and things like that. But I don't know. I just I wasn't feeling it when I saw Chris Bosch's name going on vibes only. I wasn't feeling him. But I think if you are the third guy on a dynasty, I'm not saying the Heatles were a dynasty, but they made four straight finals. They were, um, you know, in, in incredibly um, seductive. Right. They were must see TV for a lot of people. They were they were in the news constantly. And I think to be the third guy on a team like that with multiple championships where you where you win, um Excuse me. You you get selected to eleven All Star games, one MV, uh, one All NBA team. It's one of those things where when you're living through it, maybe you don't think of him that way. But as time goes on and you stack up his resume or you think about players from a certain era, those guys can come up a lot. I don't know if that's going to be the case with him. He may almost be like too recent. It's also one of those things where I'm still trying to figure out how he made eleven All Star. Like when did that happen? Did he make most of them in Toronto? I kind of think he had a run in Toronto there. I, I have a couple points I want to make about Bosch. The second one might be really out there, so you might have to rein me in on that one. But with Bosch, I think something I, I think something that, that hurts him, especially with his Miami days, is even his like biggest moment, I think it was in that the game six after Ray Allen's incredible shot that saved the their their year, Chris Bosch blocks Danny Green's three point attempt in overtime, sealing their win that game. But no one ever talks about that that's never brought up as one of the great defensive players in nba history and i feel like the other play that bosch is known for in miami is like being dunked on by manu ginobili who got so, who got the rebound on ray allen's shot oh that was bosch as well but i feel like besides like the the famous call you don't ever hear people be like oh great rebounder he was always there in, in his right position so well well, well no he was he's hurt you said it earlier 2010 the slash line guys He's hurt because he was always seen as soft. You play on the perimeter and you sacrifice those rebounding numbers. And even the scheme defensively that the Heat played with all their activity and movement, like Wade and LeBron and later Battier and guys like that, they're scooping as many rebounds as a big because of the way they play that scheme. And so Mm -hmm. he was always criticized for poor rebounding numbers. That probably works against him here. Another reason why I think he's he's not going to make it. Yeah, but here's here's my really out there take. So would we be and I guess this isn't fair because we are talking about winning and whatnot. And maybe this is too much of a counterfactual. But let's pretend that in 2010, instead of Bosch going to Miami, what if it was like LaMarcus Aldridge that went to Miami? And then how many championships would LeBron, Wade and LaMarcus Aldridge win together? And then would Bosch even be near this conversation and would Aldridge be vaulted in this conversation? But then again, I guess this is like the day the radio talk show part of it where he won some rings and he was a part of like you said, somewhat of a dynasty. So he gets some bonus points for that. So I don't know. What do you think about that? I think his his path to getting on the team is the fact that he made 11 all-star teams. And that's just one of the biggest numbers in league history. And people are going to look that up in conjunction with the other stuff. And so it's kind of like if he didn't get moved, then he'd be more like Alex English, 
where he's probably a niche case. He's underrated by the masses, made a ton of all-star teams, has these juicy numbers in Toronto when he's just the lone star there, right? So I think it'd be kind of a different perspective or argument, but in a way, he'd probably still be in a in a similar spot. I don't think he's the type of player, nor did he have the type of career that is really hyper-polarizing. It's just more of a question of kind of placing it in the context of this conversation. Yeah, and I think based on all that, he's probably not going to be making the team, even though you're right, 11 All-Star games is pretty incredible in the context of the NBA, but um, I don't see it. I I think they're going to have to make way for some other players, and I think he's going to be the player that's pushed off to the side yet again. Okay, so I had a handful of other guys in here from uh, Yao Ming to uh, Ben Wallace to even I even looked at Mitch Richmond, uh, six-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA guy, great scorer in the 90s. But I think for me, the hardest cuts if on the predictive side, because I'm just trying to figure out, you know, Ben Wallace is, he doesn't have the numbers and sure, he's got his defensive player of the year and championship, but defense doesn't excite a lot of people. Um, Yao, if the NBA were voting on it themselves, I think Yao would get in. Mm-hmm. Or if they let the fans vote and and China could vote, he would obviously get in. Um, Yao made eight all-star teams, some of them by virtue of fan voting. But I think the toughest guys for me that I think are not going to get in, but they could. Like, I can see this going either way. Grant Hill, great peak. Then he injures his ankles. He's out for a couple years. He reinvents himself. Now he broadcasts college basketball. Do young people even know that Grant Hill drank Sprite? Like, do they, do they do they know? Do they know about that? If you're like, what the hell has Ben talking about? YouTube, Grant Hill, Sprite. I don't even know how young I consider myself, but I did not know that. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, it was... Uh, check it out after we're done here. I it will. Was, it, was, it was everything. Grant Hill sold shoes. He, Grant, Hill, Grant Hill sold Fila shoes. He made them popular. He was huge. <laughs> he was absolutely huge. So I have no idea if there's going to be like uh, a group of people that love that peak and love the sort of fact that Hill had that crazy career arc with the rebirth and all this stuff, or if he's just kind of like lost to time. I have no feeling for this whatsoever. I think if people watched him, I think they would put him on immediately because Grant Hill's peak was really, really good. Like he looked like he was going places. He nearly averaged a triple double one of those seasons. Uh, He had a really modern handle for a forward really elevated for some posterizing dunks, really could pass the ball. I just said really like five times there. Uh, but then I think there was like a period of time across like multiple seasons of playoffs. He didn't make a single three-pointer. And then he comes back and joins Steve Nash as being like a corner specialist at times. So that's really quite the reinvention that he made. So yeah, there's a lot of cool elements to Grant Hill's career. And it really makes me sad he wasn't able to actualize himself based on how he was playing in the late 90s. Uh, another a really tough cut from that era. I actually went back and forth repeatedly on this. Um, I should mention for this next player, he was 73rd on ESPN's list, Dikembe Mutombo. Eight-time All-Star, Defensive Player of the Year, six-time All-Defensive Team, three-time All-NBA. Of course, uh, made the finals in Philadelphia in 2001. Cody, I just have no feel for how this, this... uh, defensive juggernaut from Africa back in the day is going to be viewed by the voting body in 2021. I want to know how much, because you had those ads 
I don't even know how many years ago those were, but he had those ads where State Farm, I think it was, where he's blocking things and he's doing the finger wag. So he brought the finger wag back. And honestly, maybe he's known more for the finger wag now than his actual playing. So maybe that's actually enough to get him into the collective consciousness to vote him in. But I really don't know. He's at least like on top of people's minds more than a lot of other players that we've talked about. So I think it's a crapshoot. Just keep in mind that theoretically, at least one player needs to replace your your Vince Carter cut. So it could be um, one of these guys from this pool. I think. Hmm. I will say, while you deliberate that, the, the defensive players just killed me. So Ben, yeah. Wall, ben Wallace and Matumbo, I know with both of them, there's arguments for them to get in, uh, not just from like me, from a basketball perspective. I mean, arguments that the voters will acknowledge their defensive player of the years, and in Ben Wallace's case, his championship. Uh, Big Ben, of course, had the the fro and the headband. Um, they just did uh, Malice at the Palace, the documentary that, that brings that team back into the forefront. Like, there are things we can talk about that voters would, would say, oh, I'm going to put this guy on my team. Um, eight-time All-Star again, Matumbo. Ben Wallace made five All-NBA teams. I'm just not convinced the only defensive guy from this era I ended up going with was Alonzo Mourning. And I, I think he's going to get in. I think Alonzo Mourning, aside from Dikembe Mutombo and, and Ben Wallace, he was, he was a much better offensive player than them. Exactly. I mean, he was well, a solid 2010 guy for a while and was maybe the best offensive player on a team that made the finals one of those years. So I think maybe based on that... That would give him more of a bump. But I think if I had to pick between Matumbo and Wallace, I think even using the logic of like, uh, you know, rings culture, Wallace did does have a championship and made another finals. So he has more finals and more championships than Matumbo. And I think he's probably just more popular in general. I feel like that 2004 Pistons team is really revered still to a certain degree, even though like, you know, they're not really exciting to watch. If you go back and see like a 69 72 final game between the Pistons and the Pacers, <laughs> but I still think Wallace is more popular than Matumbo. But, but for Alonzo Mourning, um, he, he, I don't know if I want to say like he's significantly better offensively because uh, he was very deliberate and he played in an era where, you know, big men felt they needed to get 20 touches a game and take a lot of hard shots. And he wasn't a good passer, but he was a guy who was scoring 20 points a game. He was a guy who you could do something with offensively at some offensive value. And they didn't make the finals with him. They made conference finals, but mm. defensive player of the year, seven time all-star ESPN had him 63rd. So there's some voting body that's seeing him as being a great player. He won a championship as a tremendous reserve in 2006, coming off the bench, just all-time great kind of shot blocker with his timing and whatnot. Um, now, you did say Vince Carter had to be cut, and Vince Carter did dunk on Alonzo Mourning so hard that I can still feel it. So, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe there's something there. I don't know. I, uh, but Zoe seems so respected around the league as kind of like the consummate professional and everything that he had to go through with his health issues. I do wonder if there are enough people voting from that era, former players, coaches that played in that era, even executives that kind of came up in that era, that he's one of these defensive guys that get gets in. That was my thinking. I don't really know what to do with the defensive guys. I almost had them all out. But when I saw him 63rd on ESPN's list, combined with the fact that he did, you know, he was a 20-point-per-game scorer, I kind of think he's going to get in. That That's my thought. Here's going to be maybe my hottest take of the pod. 
I think Ben Wallace makes him makes it over Alonzo Mourning. Yeah, I could see it. I could. See I do. It. I think especially with the Malice in the Palace. I think Malice in the Palace in itself is enough to to vault Ben Wallace's name into that conversation. But Alonzo Mourning, I think technically, if I were making the list, I would. Once again, I don't want to say it, but I'm going to. I'd probably put a lot of morning higher on whatever greatest list I have than Ben Wallace. I'm not wedded to that, but off the top of my head, I probably would. But based on just his popularity in the culture, based on the popularity of that Pistons team, I think I think Wallace makes it. I just do it. And he actually had four straight Defensive Player of the Years, right? I'm not yes. making this one. Yeah, no. Yeah, okay. he won. He just constantly won it. Um, oh, that leaves. These five guys to me were just, I, I had him in, I had him out, I had him in, I had him out. Let's start with the most modern one. And I think this name's going to throw some people, but there's there's a clear path for voters to put him in. Kyrie Irving. Mm. He's a seven-time All-Star. He made three All-NBA teams. Not only did he win a championship in Cleveland in 2016, but he did so with one of the more famous shots in league history in Game 7. That was coming off uh, a series or a, uh, a game, two games prior in game five of that series against the 73-win Warriors team where he had 41 points in an elimination game, gone on to um, success, if you will. I don't know, because there's people who may be like, you, I'm not voting for that guy ever because of the antics and off-court stuff. But on-court success to some degree in Boston and now in Brooklyn, one of the I don't, I don't know. I've been working on all-time great shooters lately, so I don't know what number to put on it, but like an amazing shooter uh, considered to be one of the great ball handlers and creative finishers at the rim ever has, has a certain kind of niche following and, and uh, fan base and cred with all his moves and his aesthetics. Like, I, I don't know what to do with him. Part of me feels like, and th- this is tough territory because i'm trying to present ideas that i don't necessarily hold but i think that the voting body or other people would have but i think the way that he rubbed people maybe his perceived leadership style and the fact that he didn't see success unless he was next to you know lebron james or kevin durant because you know the teams he was on without those players weren't particularly successful and you know that celtics team which is maybe his best other opportunity he really didn't show out with his leadership according to some in the playoffs and again, I keep bringing his name up, but I do think he has a, a voice in this kind of conversation. But Bill Simmons really rags against him quite a lot. And I do think that that sort of opinion has a lot of sway in this kind of a conversation because he's probably probably the closest thing that we have to like an actual NBA historian. Not once again saying that that's the greatest thing ever, but it's the case. I, I thought you were going to say LeBron and his 40 votes <laughs> are, are definitely uh, going to go no on Kyrie. Um I don't know what to do with him. The other modern player I didn't know what to do with. I had him in. I had him out. I'm not sure. Dame Lillard. Dame Lillard doesn't have, like just like Kyrie, doesn't have tremendous longevity, but the dude has already made six All-NBA teams. Uh, when ESPN did this exercise last year, or, or their top 74 players, similar exercise, he was 72nd. Uh, he's, I think, hit his peak in 2020 and 2021. There's... He's he's got an attitude and a presence about him on the court and in the game that if you have a lot of modern voters, I could see him getting voted in. If you don't, I don't think he has a chance. 
I think if you also had like a clutch factor with a lot of these players, Damian Lillard is going to be right there. And I know I'm saying that right after talking about Kyrie Irving, but I think Dame time is just a lot more on people's minds when it comes to that clutch value. And, you know, he's had a couple of the most indelible playoff shots in NBA history. I mean, that pull up over Paul George is just, you know, people bring that up more than Kyrie's shot in, in game seven back in 2016. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what to do with them um, in terms of predicting this. I could see it going either way. And I think those are all great points. Chauncey Billups, finals MVP. He is like currently the darling of the niche historian. Like Real GM had him as the 46th greatest player ever when they just wrapped up their list. Uh, he was a guy that when he played, everyone said, ah, he shoots 39%. How good can he be? And it's like, yeah, he shoots 39% from three. That's all he takes. And he shoots 90% from the line. And that's all he takes as well. And uh, turns out, like, when you're a solid defender, good passer, uh, great shooter, you're pretty good at basketball. And he has the finals MVP. Only five all-star game, uh, five all-star appearances. I'm not sure how people are going to react to him. I think the safe bet is that he's a name that people don't associate with this much cachet, and therefore he's not at top of mind on a lot of ballots. So I think he's out as well. But if we were to rank these three in the voting body, I do think Billups would make it over both Lillard and Kyrie. Once again, I really think that that 2004 Pistons team just has a weird level of popularity in people's minds, kind of like the 2011 Mavericks might. Chris Weber, I had no idea what to do with. Um, Played a long time, kind of quote-unquote only made five all-star teams, but also made five all-NBA teams. Had a run at kind of like MVP level popularity in the early 2000s, the 2002 Kings, of course. I mean, you just mentioned these these great teams, like the, the romanticized teams, the 11 Mavs, the 04 Pistons. There are some, um, the, the beautiful game Spurs, even some non-championship teams on that list, like the Seven Seconds or Less Suns. And I, by the way, a guy who we're not going to talk about today, but I just didn't think Sean Marion is going to have enough nearly enough horses behind him to get there but another guy from that kind of team Amari Stoudemire is on that team I don't think those those guys are going to have enough but Chris Weber was kind of a big name around the league and and the key figurehead of the 2002 Kings team a classic runner-up team I know they lost in the west but they were that was that was the real championship series that year um seven game series against the Lakers I he, he's got the broadcaster thing. I still don't think he gets in. I think Billups has a better case than him in the in the voters mind. I do think, you know, it's not fair, especially in an NBA conversation, but the illegal timeout call when he was in college probably still hangs over him. And I think just him being a loser kind of hangs over him as well. And once again, the difference between Billups and Weber is Weber never won a championship when he was with that Kings team. So even though that Kings team is those Kings teams, I should say are super fun and pretty modern in their passing and spacing and movement and stuff. They didn't win at all. And I think in this conversation, people are going to give more credence to the, the rings. Uh, The last guy for me who I think I might've had him in at some point, when I was doing this, I was just like churning through as like I had a bunch of guys in and then I'd do more research and bring more guys in and I'd bump them out. I think I had him in recently, but I think he's on the outside looking in. And that's Bernard King, absolute New York legend, absolute legendary scorer, 1983-1984 postseason going up against Larry Bird and the Celtics, Isaiah Thomas and the Pistons. 
huge numbers. He was 69th on ESPN's top 74 player list last year. Again, is that East Coast media bias? I don't know. Maybe that sample is representative of the sample we're going to see that votes on this. I, I, I hedge my bets here, and I think we can get 75 names that feel more powerful. I think I agree with you. And I, I'm not in that real GM community, but it feels like he would get kind of the anti-Chauncey Billups look where he has these great scoring numbers, but people are actually looking closer and like, but really how efficient of a score or how good of a score was he? Well, he was efficient. Yeah, he was crazy efficient. The issue with him is, you know, what happens when you're not a great playmaker and when you yes. score at that level and or you don't move the needle defensively? Like how, how great can you really be? And of course, with Bernard, he shredded his knee and then he comes back later with the bullets and he's kind of like you know i think he got an all-star nod or two and he's still over he's such a great scorer he's still in the 20s but just doesn't have the longevity just doesn't have that like star staying power and and i think you know that's that's the challenge uh, like how are people going to view that peak even if they know about it this has been a very short podcast um (laughs) as as expected cody's getting ready for work as we speak (laughs) 14 spots left. I think we've mentioned some of them. Like we mentioned Rodman. We mentioned Wilkins. These are all guys that were close. I said morning went went in. Um, Let's do the rest. Okay. Boy, this is tough. Okay. Guys from the All-NBA at 50 team that I think are still going to make it. And I think I went back and forth on almost all of these. But by virtue of them being on the All-NBA at 50 team, most of them have this like historical nostalgia or sexiness about them. So this group of players is Pete Maravich, Earl Monroe, Tiny Archibald, Sam Jones, Hal Greer, Bill Sharman, and Nate Thurman. I think all of those guys probably are still going to make it. Yeah, I don't think all of them then did, but a couple of them were on the 50 team when they did the 50th anniversary team. And I wonder what they're going to be doing about players like that whose impact on the game or influence on the game is definitely like decreasing the further we get away from them. Like that feel like Maravich even, for instance, I heard about him a lot more 15 years ago. People talked about him a lot more and that's just not the case. Uh, I saw like a play of him throwing an underhanded full court pass the other day on Twitter, but that's that's I, about it. So, that was my tweet. I mean, was that your tweet? Well, so they, they people take it and they pass it around but that was originally my tweet yeah now that's funny i had no idea i'm like oh i just saw it on twitter but i guess it it was you now that i think about it but yeah i don't know what to do with that sort of bubble team from the 50 team i just think he's viewed as such a kind of aesthetic figure the college scoring numbers help the now i actually don't think his passing was that functionally impressive but obviously the flair on his passes was off the charts um you know, thought of as a as a good outside shooter. Like, I keep. I, I think we could probably do a whole podcast on Maravich. I think he's one of the most overrated players in NBA history. Which is not to say that he was a dud, right? But it's just he he has he has had this sort of reputation that has persisted for like four decades now, and I still don't think it's going away. He was 68th when ESPN did this exercise last year. Uh, and I, st- I, th- I think he's still going to get in. I think the young people still value the highlight clips and the points per game. And I think the old people have the, the old people. I sound ridiculous. Um, <laughs> the, the older voters from past decades, I think they have never gone back and been like, maybe 
being a high volume, low efficiency scorer who has all kinds of defensive weaknesses and kind of plays a little bit of a freestyle game on really bad offenses. Maybe that isn't one of the 50 best players in NBA history. I feel like maybe this was like middle school or high school. I remember hearing a thing that people talked about that liked basketball. That was like, did you know that if there's a three point line when Pete Maravich was in college, he'd be like the all time leading scorer there. And I wonder if like that sort of rumor persists in the way that's going to help bump him up because yeah, I, I agree with you. He's from what I've seen, it, it's impressive in the fact that it's aesthetically pleasing, but not impressive in the sense that it's like, oh, this is Jokic completely just running the show. Right. He has he has a lot of lore about him. Um, yes. The other like the other guy here that has that is Earl Monroe. He was 64th on ESPN's list. This is the New York bias I'm talking about. Yeah. Earl, Earl Monroe made four All Star games. Um, if you ask me who's better, Archie Clark or Earl Monroe, most people have never heard of Archie Clark. Archie Clark was a, was a Baltimore guard as well. He played for the Lakers in 68. They had a great offense. He was one of the originators, like one of the godfathers of the crossover dribble. So both of these guys had handle and moves and flair, but somehow it's Monroe's kind of like playground vibe that has carried through. Again, not, not a dud as a player, like a perfectly good player, but not someone who I ever really think of as standing out and like, hey, these are the top 50 players he needs to be in this conversation. And yet, Cody, I'm saying all this, I, I think he's going to carry that reputation through and I think he's going to stay on the team probably. I think you're probably right with that. And I think this is where it gets really tough when I try and conceptualize a team because when you really, I don't know, you're looking at these players that are just fighting to get in and you're looking at a player from the mid-2000s, you have a player from the 90s, you have uh, Tiny Archibald, who once again, when I was just getting into the NBA, it's a player I heard probably because of the, the Knicks bias. So I don't know, but I think you're right. I think he is going to make it based on that. No, Tiny Tiny was in Kansas City, and he led the team in... Uh, he led the league, excuse me, in scoring and assists in the same year. That's his claim to fame. Wait, what did I say? You, you called Earl Monroe Tiny Archibald because Tiny Archibald oh, is yeah. the next guy we're going to talk about. Um, it's funny that I, I meant to say Earl Monroe for those of you that are like, what is this guy doing on the podcast? It's uh, I, I taught 15 year olds that I jumped on this podcast. That's now an hour seven. So give me give me some slack. <laughs> and it says Tiny Archibald right next to Earl Monroe as we <laughs> as we make our through, way through this list. I think Tiny's going to stay there. Um, the old guys like Sam Jones usually goes where how I should say Hal Greer usually goes where Sam Jones goes because they were kind of rivals as the you know the next level behind West and Oscar in the 60s and I think Sam Jones is going to stay Bill Simmons has helped uh, of course the Celtics dynasty with Bill Russell has helped uh, Sam Sam still seems to be a name that like when people think of like classic players um Hal Greer by the way made 10 all-star games seven all-nba teams guys like that I think are still going to stick around Bill Sharman's one of those 50s guys I think is going to stick around the hardest one here for the old guys is Nate Thurman just because I'm not sure how many people actually know who Nate Thurman did he was on he was on the all-50 team as I mentioned but um he could be Cody. This could be your guy. You could take out another guy. You could have two Cody cuts and then you could bring in, you could replace Carter and you could replace Thurman. I don't know. Do you buy that these guys are all going to make it in? I think once again with the defense thing, because Nate Thurman is his outsized impact came a lot more from his defense. But I have no idea how you how you look at that, especially that early in the NBA, because Bill Russell obviously got his outsized impact from his defense as well. So, but I, he, he's on a different level than Thurmond, obviously. So Sam Jones, I think of all those names, he said, he's probably the one that I'm most confident would 
make it. I feel like he comes a lot in the sense that it's like, oh, clutch scorer, two-way guard, could probably play in today's league if we were doing an all-time draft sort of thing. Uh, so he's he's the top of my list of all the players you just said. All right, this is a tough one. I, I, I want to hear you mount an argument against this. Ten-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA, he's got the New York bias, scored about 97,000 points in his career. I think Carmelo Anthony's going to get voted in. You think he's going to get voted in? In, yep. I wanted to have the Carmelo Anthony conversation because if you if you look at the top scorers of all time NBA history, Carmelo Anthony's number ten, right? Number now. ten, not, number number 10. ten. But he's the only one of that bunch that doesn't have a championship, and not only does he not have a chance championship, he's the only one that didn't lead his team as an offensive engine to a championship. So I really don't know how people are going to interpret that. On one hand, you have a top 10 all-time scorer in NBA history. But on the other, you have a guy that never even made a finals run as that top scorer. I don't know. I, re- I thought about Carmelo Anthony so much over the last 24 hours that I want to hear what you have to say about it. Well, I just didn't I, – I really didn't think that he was going to be one of the guys that when I laid this out got in. But 10-time All-Star, 6-time All-NBA, 10th All-Time in scoring, um, conference finals with the Nuggets in 2009, the fact that he lost in six games to a Kobe Bryant championship team, the fact that he's so sort of well-respected still around the league as an old man, go to the office, set up in the mid-post and score, got that classic mid-range game. I think all of this helps him with kind of like two types of voters. One is all the more recent, current, younger voters. And two is just that, I mean, there's a little New York bias, right, when he was with the Knicks, but like two is that look, maybe maybe Bill Simmons has this rubric, like, look at this dude carry this team. Like, look at this dude carry this team. He's a 30-point-per-game scorer. He can go get you a bucket. He did it forever. That's why he's 10th in scoring. He made 10 All-Star games this way. Like I said, I was surprised, but I think when you lay it out, I, I got to bet. It's almost a coin flip, but it feels like if I have to bet, I think he's going in over some of these other guys that I that I mentioned as out. What is Carmelo Anthony's greatest moment in the NBA? He hit a three and Mike Breed said bang. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to reference dropping like 39 points in 13 minutes against Nigeria at the Olympics. Um, I know I said NBA, but still, that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of great Carmelo Anthony moments. Well, realistically, it's probably when he set the record for points in a quarter, which was what at the time? 29? What's 29? I thought it was in the 30s. No, Clay Clay Thompson did 37. That's just just bonkers. Maybe Carmelo did 30. Um, Someone definitely knows that in Denver. We could probably look it up. But yeah, once again, this is a guy that Maybe his being tied to LeBron, not to keep going back to him, 33. Yeah. Not to keep going back to him, but he's tied to LeBron since draft day and is kind of looked at as a peer for a while. And now they're back together again. So they're still tied together. I'm really not sure. I can't look away from being the top 10 scorer in the NBA, though. Like, that's such, once again, radio host type of take, but that's incredible. Like, it's a lot of scoring. Okay. Now that we've walked through this, I think these next two guys could almost be in the likely category. They're both Laker big men. They've both won championships as sort of quote-unquote second options in Los Angeles. They were both in the top 65 in ESPN's 2020 list. 
I think Anthony Davis and Pau Gasol are in. And apparently I struggled mightily with both of these guys when putting it together because I'm not really sure if people view like AD as having a resume that has longevity. He's made eight all-star games, four all, four all defensive teams, four all NBA teams. Um, I think both those guys are in. I feel less uh, icky about either of them. I think when you say both of them, I'm like, yeah, maybe maybe on top of mind, people would be like, no, Carmelo Anthony has to be in over Anthony Davis. I think I feel like Paul Gasol has more of a claim to it than maybe Anthony Davis. Uh, he was really I don't he was right there with Kobe Bryant as a contributor in at least one of those finals when they won a championship. And I feel like people really like that. Obviously, Anthony Davis had that, too, with LeBron. But I don't know how people view the bubble. <laughs> These are, exactly exactly this is, i think this is how i ended up with the with, with them on the on the fringe category versus like ah, i feel pretty good but they're not locks yeah, yeah I'm, i don't know um that's 72 players and we have discussed i mean there's other names that i kind of viewed as unlikely that we haven't gotten to there's just we don't have to get to them now there's just so many guys we've covered the final three spots I'm not saying I went in perfect order. Like Nate Thurmond is one I'm really unsure about. Some of these defensive guys I'm really unsure about. Will Earl Monroe get in? Will both Hal Greer and Sam Jones? I don't know. But for modern players, these final three guys drove me a little nuts. Um, the first, let, I want to save the teammates for last. The first one is Tracy McGrady. Hmm. Seven-time All-Star, seven-time All-NBA, legendary 2003 season in Orlando. I think he was good in Houston. That doesn't matter. I think what matters is his. he kind of has a reputation as someone who couldn't win in the playoffs. He has a reputation as someone who didn't work hard. He has a reputation as someone who, um, you know, like you think of him and Kobe as rivals in 2003 and the different directions their reputations and careers went in and their kind of quote-unquote legacies moved in after that. He was 52nd on ESPN's list, so I think there's mm. a really good shot. I mean, he's got the resume. He's got the talent. I'm just not sure how the people voting, like if it's executives and coaches and former players, I have no idea how they see him. I think maybe if we had made this list in like 2009, I would feel a lot more confident about Tracy McGrady making it. But it feels like since we've separated ourselves from like peak Tracy McGrady, I guess not even peak Tracy McGrady, but even Rockets Tracy McGrady and uh, 13 points in 33 seconds or whatever Tracy McGrady, I just feel like he's kind of slipped away. I don't hear him talked about much. I don't hear him in the discourse all that much when we're talking about the NBA. And that makes me nervous about his contention in this. I'm I don't know. I'm kind of not feeling him making the list. He, he's, he's on the jump, or he was on the jump a lot, right? That's true. Okay. And yet, but it also didn't feel like it's this backwards effect. Like, Reggie Miller is in front of the mic, and that feels like it kind of romanticized Reggie as a player. Whereas McGrady is on the jump, and I don't know how many young people like watch the jump and, and have any idea that Tracy McGrady was just absolutely ridiculously talented incredibly successful wing who was like in mvp contention in the early 2000s not only that but if you go back and watch his dunk contest against vince carter in oh 2000, wow yeah i mean he wins any other year he's competing he, <laughs> up, up to I, that I don't point know. yeah I, I don't know why I followed up your points with that because it has no bearing <laughs> on whether or not Tracy McGrady makes it. But that was the first thing I thought of. It's like, that is an underrated dunk contest competition. Tracy McGrady could really fly. But yeah, uh, I just think it's that people don't watch ESPN or 
the day shows or whatever have that ESPN has. So you're not comfortable. Is this another Cody cut? The cousins are getting cut, McGrady and Carter. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That seems really mean. I'm getting nervous that you're going to make me find a couple more players to put on instead of them. Yeah. So it makes me not want to cut them. But I'm just, I'm not feeling McGrady right Who now. Who else can not. go in? But the, our 74th and 75th guys, we'll, we'll do in a second. Um, the guys I think that are going to go in, they're worth discussing. Who else on the other parts of the list, just the other 50 players or so that are like good, but like, is there someone else you think has a really good shot that I've overlooked here? Like, do you think Zion is going in? No. I don't think Zion's going in. Do you think Luca? Do you think Luca is going in? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I have him in my unlikely case. He was on my board and I moved him to unlikely. I just I'm just not sure there's gonna be enough to get him in. I don't agree with it. I would not put him on mine, but maybe. It's one of those enticing things. Not saying the NBA is rigging the voting, but if if the NBA were to rig it, putting Luka Doncic on the list is definitely something they would do. Kevin Johnson? No. Paul George? No. <laughs> Draymond, okay. Draymond Here, Green? Mm, no. They're not going to vote Draymond Green. He, he's, they're not going to vote Draymond no Green. No way. Un- here's a name. Okay, here's a name. Maybe. Maybe it's my Bucks bias. Is Sidney Moncrief possibly going to find his way onto this list? They're not going to vote. They don't even know who Sidney Moncrief is. But if they're trying to get older players, if they're trying to get some older players on there and trying to push that in some way, I feel like he's that next level of 80s player that they could be like, you know, Sidney Moncrief was quite the defensive player. He could probably end up on this team. Look at how good these 80s bucks were. (laughs) That is some Milwaukee talking out of you right now. Absolutely. I mean, because, all right, here's a guy I think could randomly come out of nowhere adrian dantley someone looks Mm. up someone looks up his numbers on basketball reference like too many people look up his numbers on basketball reference some people were around for that era they love his you know game and his scoring and he picks up enough votes i have no idea how close he was to making the all nba uh i keep calling it the all nba team (laughs) the 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 50th anniversary team i you, you need you need somebody to replace your your Vince Carter. Anyway, think about it. Our last two guys, I could go. I could see these guys not getting in. I started with one of them in and one of them out. I think obviously both can get in because that's where I'm betting here. Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili. And I started thinking they're never going to put Manu in because he's too much of an acquired taste. The dude made two all-star games in his entire career. And then I noticed that when ESPN did this with all of their staff members, Parker was 70th and Manu Ginobili, tip of the cap to them, because I did not like that list very much, but Manu Ginobili was 58th. And I'm like, huh, a lot of people know about this Manu Ginobili fellow. He he has an incredible reputation. It kind of reminds me of Rodman. Like, his reputation as a basketball figure, as kind of like a semi-superhero, um, as a member of that dynasty, Duncan Parker, Ginobili, Big Three, it seems to carry a lot of weight. And I've decided that both of those guys are getting in. Yeah, maybe. I, I say that with confidence. I have no idea. <laughs> These were my last picks. I have no idea what they're going to do. But that, like, think about all the other names we've we've sized up. I can see the the easiest path with the voting body for those two as members of the Spurs dynasty. 
I think something that helps Ginobili too is I don't know if any player in NBA history has a higher approval rating than him. Like I, I do not come across many people that you bring up Manu Ginobili and they're like, oh, I just didn't enjoy watching him play. That's just not not a fun player. I mean, aesthetically, he's got it. Um, you know, he won the the gold medal in 2004. He, I don't know, he just had that like leadership and fearlessness that people played with. I think Manu Ginobili is super popular in a way that they might curve his international stuff and help him out there. I could see Ginobili making this list. And and I guess Parker, too. I don't know. I'm not as convinced about Parker, but maybe. Who replaces your... You, I know. You want to bump some of these guys. Who replaced... Clay Thompson? I've, my list is 72. That, that's just it. I'm, 72 I'm players done. long. Yeah. Yeah. 75th anniversary, I'm giving you 72 players. I wanted to do that on my <laughs> own list. Um, we'll, ha- we'll have to do a part two with my own list. Okay, so we're going to stop there. We will do a part two at a later date first for now let's recap and as i recap uh, some kind of accounting error occurred we actually ended up with 78 players that i counted in and so we're going to have to make those cody cuts after all we're going to actually have to drop three guys so as i go through the list i will go back through it in chronological order of draft year here wrapping up what i think will be the nba's 75th anniversary team And I'll mention the three players that I'm going to drop off the list as kind of the three final cuts, if you will. Okay, here we go. In order of the year they made their debut, George Mikan, Dolph Shays, Bill Sharman, Paul Arizon, Bob Cousy, Bob Pettit. Those are all 1955 guys or earlier. In the next decade, Bill Russell. I'm sticking with Sam Jones, Hal Greer, Elgin Baylor, Wilt Chamberlain, Jerry West, Oscar Robertson, John Havlicek, Nate Thurmond, and Willis Reed. Okay, out of those guys, I think Nate Thurmond, for the reasons we discussed, because he was a defensive guy, I think he's a candidate to not make this final cut. So I'm dropping him for my predicted list. And Bill Sharman, another early guy. I think the early guys are vulnerable based on what we discussed. So Bill Sharman and Nate Thurmond will drop off. Continuing with the next decade, Rick Barry, Earl Monroe, Walt Frazier, Elvin Hayes, Wes Unseld, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Tiny Archibald, Pete Maravich, Dave Cowens, Julius Irving, George Gervin, Bill Walton, and Moses Malone. Those guys take us up to 1975, and I think all of them will be on the 75th anniversary team. Moving along, the next decade, Alex English, Robert Parrish, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Kevin McHale, Isaiah Thomas, Dominique Wilkins, James Worthy, Clyde Drexler, Clyde Drexler, John Stockton, Charles Barkley, Hakeem Olajuwon, and Michael Jordan. That takes us up to 1985. I think all of those guys will get in. That gives us 40 players so far. The remaining 35 after 1985. Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone, Dennis Rodman, Reggie Miller, Scottie Pippen, David Robinson, Gary Payton, Alonzo Mourning, Shaquille O'Neal, Jason Kidd, Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant, Steve Nash, Allen Iverson, Ray Allen. Just incredible draft classes here. Tracy McGrady, Tim Duncan, Vince Carter, and Paul Pierce. That takes us up to the year 2000. As we discussed, I'm going to go with Cody on this one. I think the Cody cut here... If it's going to be one of these modern players, is going to be either McGrady or Carter. And I maybe let's say Vince Carter 
So that's he's the third guy that's going to drop off from our conversation uh, of the list of players that I said would get in. And then the 21st century players, Pau Gasol. I'm going to go with both Parker and Ginobili staying in. Carmelo Anthony was another guy who was right on the cusp, I think, for the reasons discussed. He's staying in. And then a number of easy names. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic. Perhaps we'll find out next month the NBA's 75th anniversary team. We are back with the season ramping back up. A ton of content uh, for subscribers. If you want to support this podcast and all things Thinking Basketball, it's patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. YouTube videos and content will be starting up again as we enter into the fall. I want to thank everyone for their continued support throughout the offseason and throughout these last few years with the pandemic and everything. It has meant an incredible amount to me. I hope you're enjoying the content. And uh, yeah, stick around for a to-be-determined part two next month in October, NBA at 75. Of course, thanks for listening all the way to the end. And wherever you are, I hope you are having a great day. <laughs>